This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. What would you do if you were out on a picnic with your toddler? And he looks into the distance and goes, There's a dead woman over there. <laughs> what, would you, what would you do in that super specific instance? I don't want to know about anything else. And then we take a look at the ever-evolving saga of the Dybbuk box. An item so cursed that even going near it can cause unspeakably bad luck. Well, now there is a terrifying new chapter to the legend of the Dybbuk box. What some consider to be the most cursed item on the planet. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a ton of stuff to cover today. And I, I just drink a Coke. I got a ton of caffeine, and I normally don't drink caffeine, so I'm doing finger guns. Do, 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 do. And I'm doing finger guns at one of our legacy Patreons coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now. We got Corey Dennis. Come here. Do, 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 do. Shooting at him. He's like, great. Oh my God, be on the episode with Hyper Jason. This is going to be awesome. You bet it is. Corey, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Really, really appreciate it when I see people talking about the show online. Corey, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We are going to leave behind Den Rabbit Command. We are headed on out to the Madera County Mountains in California. Corey driving us in this old-timey jalopy up over the the mountains. It totally breaks down. We have to push it half the way, but it's okay. Eventually, we're going to get to Shut Eye Peak in the Madera County Mountains. It's July 21st, 2021. Super recent story this happened. There's a man. His name is Jake Gorba. He's there with his wife, Victoria, and they have three kids, the Gorba clan, the Gorba group. They're having, they have three kids, they're up there, they're eating lunch, um, nom, 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 nom. And their three-year-old son, Caden, he's, um, nom, 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 eating his food. And then he starts talking to someone, and the family's like, that's weird, that's weird, we totally isolate him. He's on, he's on restriction, he can't talk to anyone, why is he talking? He's talking to someone, he's not talking to anyone in the family. And he keeps going, there's a lady over there. There's a lady over there. See? And he's pointing out this spot in the meadow. He's like pointing. He goes, there's a lady over there. <laughs> he, turned into, he turned into Woody Allen somehow. There's a lady over there. And he describes this woman, what she looks like. Because they don't see anything. Right? This is one thing I don't get. Like People are always telling me their kids are seeing spooky stuff. And I'm not like a huge fan of like kids, kids in general. But if your kids are like pointing off into the to the void, your kids are pointing off into nothingness and being there's a woman over there. <laughs> your child sounds like Woody Allen all of a sudden. There's a woman over there, and she has blue hair, and she's wearing a black shirt, and she has blue jeans on. Look, but she's dead. <laughs> the kid gets all creepy. I don't think the kid I don't think the kid was saying it in the most menacing way. I think it was probably just like, Yay, I'm a three year old, however three year olds sound. Apparently they all sound like Woody Allen. 
He describes her. I don't even know why I'm doing the voice. This is what Caden sees. He sees a woman lying face down in the meadow. And it's ta- the woman is talking to Caden. But really what he's seeing is she's lying face down in the meadow. She has blue hair, a black shirt, and blue jeans. And he says that her legs are bent up. Like she's laying face down, but her legs are sticking straight up in the air. Like I'm assuming at like the knee. Which is just weird, right? Which normally, when I, when I walk away from a dead corpse after I've done my job, it's totally prone. No, she's like laying face down, but her legs are sticking straight up in the air. And he's telling them she needs our help. She needs our help, but she's dead. She's over there, but she's dead. I can see her. Can't you guys see her? And Jake and Victoria, they don't see anything over there. And Caden is insistent. There's a dead woman over there, Mom. I don't know how many times I have to say this. There's a dead woman over there. She needs our help. Well, what are you going to do, right? You're at this delicious picnic. You're going to finish eating your food. Eat your egg salad sandwich, Caden. Ignore, ignore the decaying woman. Ignore her haunting spirit in the meadow. You have to finish eating. Anyway, so they... I, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I don't know if they finished their picnic. Because, again, like, if you're hanging out with kids, kids are always seeing weird stuff. You couldn't be like, oh, no, ghost. Because then every time you went to McDonald's, they'll be like, oh, no, there's a giant purple, there's a giant purple, per- is Grimace still even around in McDonald's? Okay, totally getting off the <laughs> totally getting off the point. Corey Dennis is already getting the Jason Jalopy. He's driving away. Okay, i got to focus. The point is, is that, I don't, the point is, I don't know if they finished their picnic. But they did eventually come down from the mountain. And they're thinking about it. Jake and Victoria thinking about it. And they're like, dude, that was so weird that our son is such a weirdo. But maybe he saw something. So they find out. They post this on Facebook. They find out that a woman matching that description, blue hair included, went missing in that area. Now, in that area is a bit of a stretch. She went missing in the mountains. I couldn't find any proof that she actually went missing on Shut Eye Peak, but they were able to find there was a woman named Sandra Hughes who had gone missing in June 2020, almost over a year before this. And Sandra Hughes, she when she went missing, she was up camping in the mountains. She went missing. Her family goes, listen, she is a trained outdoor survivalist. She's not the person who'd be like, oh no, the weather's slightly turned gray. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna crawl into this ravine and die. This isn't a place she she would have lasted a while up here, even on her own with no supplies. But the police have been looking for her. She's been a missing person for over a year. When Jake and Victoria put this on Facebook, it actually got the attention of the Madera County Sheriff's Office. And the Madera County Sheriff Corporal Chris Williams contacted the family and wanted more information about this sighting. And actually sent two deputies up with Jake and Caden. To see what they could see in the meadow. And you know those cops... <laughs> you know those cops are kind of like, oh, you know, on the one hand, this might be a, a break in the case. <laughs> we might be hanging out with the Sixth Sense kid, and this is going to be a break in the case, and the kid will be like, look, there's a ghost. And then, like, the ghost, like, goes, this is where I... This is where I'm buried. And also, this is who killed me and all this stuff. Or it's just a nice, fun drive up into the mountains. Like, I don't know if the cops on duty actually thought anything would come of this, but nothing did come of this. They drove up there and they looked around and they didn't see they didn't see anything. They didn't see they saw a cross. 
They saw a little cross with a dog collar around it. That's a callback to yesterday's episode. Point is, they smell yogurt coming out of the ground. The point is, is that a little kid saw a ghost. So that's spooky, right? That's paranormal. They didn't find anything. They didn't find anything, unfortunately. So the case of Sandra Hughes continues. No one knows what happened to her. There were other sightings of her, apparently. One time, like, she went missing in June 2020. On August 9th of 2020, two hunters were going through the mountains. They saw a woman leaning against a tree. She was thin. This thin woman kind of leaning against a tree. And the two hunters passed her. I'm assuming they were in a truck or something like that. But they said she didn't flag us down. She obviously saw us. She didn't flag us down. She didn't seem to stress. She was just standing there. And when they drove into town, they saw a missing persons flyer for her. They said she was much skinnier when they saw her than just a month ago when the picture was taken. So was that Sandra Hughes? Was that... An early viewing of her ghost? Like, who knows? It's just such a weird mystery. Now it's going to become a paranormal legend. People are always going to talk about this meadow and the ghost sighting and things like that. But did a little boy actually see her? This is a story that I think... I mean, this is probably the wrong episode to to talk about this, but this, this story sounds legit to me. The kid may have actually seen something, and you know what I mean? And then the story played out how it was, and... The police saying, well, we don't have any other leads, so let's go investigate it. It sounds fairly legit, but you never know. In the world of the paranormal, let that be a reminder. You never know if somebody is telling the truth. No matter how noble it may be or how innocuous this story may seem, you just don't know. I just stand there, we're standing there in the meadow, and I'm just staring at you silently, and you're like, that's weird, Jason, is this going somewhere? Like, why are you just staring at me after you're saying we don't know if we can trust people? Corey, Dennis, let's go ahead and hop in that carboner copter. We trust you to fly us out from Shut-Eye Peak. We are headed to Portland, Oregon. We covered the Dybbuk box back on episode... 67. Can you believe that? That's almost 700 episodes ago. 650 episodes ago. We covered the (laughs) sound exhaustion when I said that. No, I love doing this show. Episode 67, we talked about the Dybbuk box, but the Dybbuk box had been a story that I've carried with myself for years. I remember the first time I heard about the Dybbuk box. It was a rainy day in Sacramento. I was listening to the podcast Mysterious Universe way back in the day. It had to be like 2003, 2004, something like that. And, and like the rain was pitter-pattering out the window. And it just was such so well done. The Mysterious Universe can really weave these stories. They're telling the story. And at the end of the story, they go, you know, just by hearing about the Dybbuk box, you're part of the curse. And I remember it like really scared me. It really was a very interesting story. It terrified me. And I thought, wow, the Dybbuk box, what a cool addition to the paranormal lexicon. We have this whole new story about this Dybbuk box. I covered it on an episode, and it's super well-known. There's been movies made about it. There's been lots of articles written about it, so I didn't really cover it when I was doing the show, even though I love the story of the Dybbuk box. It was fairly well-known, and I covered more obscure stuff. I covered it on episode 67 because it became a current event. Rapper, musician Post Malone... Is he really even considered a rapper? Musician Post Malone... He had a string of bad luck. You guys remember this? His airplane tire blew out, and he got in a car accident, and then his his former house got home invaded or something like that. And the idea was that he was visiting with his friend Zach Baggins, one of the most famous ghost hunters in the world and host of the Ghost Adventurers show. 
He was hanging out with Zach Baggins. Zach Baggins was mucking about with the Dybbuk box, which is in his possession now. He has, like, this ghost museum. And Post Malone simply touched Zach Baggins' shoulder as Zach Baggins was touching the Dybbuk box, and then all this horrible battle that came across Post Malone. And I haven't listened to episode 67 in a long time. I believe I was fairly skeptical about the idea of the battle being attacked. Maybe it wasn't, but cause I was like, ooh, spooky, ooky, Dybbuk box. I don't remember exactly what path I took on that episode, but I do remember loving the story of the Dybbuk box, still love the story of the Dybbuk box, and now we have new information about how this legend is growing, but I'm going to do a quick overview for you. Not everyone knows what the the Dybbuk box is, but let's talk about it very, very briefly. It's a cursed box, and this is the story. It was originally owned by a Holocaust survivor, and a Dybbuk is, in Jewish, Jewish tradition, it's a restless spirit. And a Dybbuk box is a prison for that spirit. So this guy, his name was Kevin Manis. He said back in 2001, he bought this Dybbuk box in Portland, Oregon. And he was told this was from a Holocaust survivor. Do not open it. Do not open it. It, it has some bad juju in it. And just don't open it. <laughs> we'll sell it to you. We'll be irresponsible and sell you this relic. But don't open it. And Kevin Manis opens it. And that kind of started this whole worldwide phenomenon of this Dybbuk box legend. It got so bad that people say, and this is where we're coming at here, just by hearing about the Dybbuk box, people say that they have bad luck. People say by even viewing photos of the Dybbuk boxes, one guy said his computer caught on fire. Just by viewing photos of the Dybbuk box. 2001, Kevin Manis purchases this Dybbuk box and is hit with wave after wave of bad luck. Him and his friends, people who are around the Dybbuk box, keep having nightmares of this old woman with sunken eyeballs stalking them through their dreams. His sister complained of cabinet doors in her house opening and closing. It's causing poltergeist activity. It was linked to two different suicides, and then he gives it to his mom. <laughs> this is listen, man. You may have problems with your mom, but if, if this is if this caused two suicides, if it's even caused one suicide, I don't know why you do this. He gave it to his mom as a gift. Shortly afterwards, she had a stroke, and she did an interview with this show called Paranormal Witness, and she says that you know. I knew when I opened the Dybbuk box, I was like, oh, this caused two suicides. Thank you, Sonny. This is my favorite gift ever. She goes, when I got the Dybbuk box and I opened it up, I felt like this icy evil presence come out of the box. Like I knew I shouldn't have had this. I knew that my son must be trying to kill me and I had a stroke. So Kevin Manis sells it on eBay and he writes this long description detailing all this stuff. The bad luck, the story of what he found in it. I think there was like two coins, a piece of hair, some other stuff that was supposed to be a part of this Dybbuk box ritual. He goes, I opened it up. I wasn't supposed to. There's like this etching on the back and blah, blah, blah. And then all this bad luck. And my mom had a stroke and two suicides. How would you like to buy this? And he ends up selling it on eBay to this new owner. The new owner also feels very cursed by it. They sell it fairly quickly afterwards to a man known as Jason Haxton. Now, Jason Haxton gets it, also gets hit with bad luck, but writes a book about it. Writes a, <laughs> writes a book called My Unlucky Day with Ramona and Beezus. He writes this book. It wasn't a kid's book. I don't think it was a kid's book. It's a pop-up book. You turn the page and an old woman with sunken eyes comes out at you. He writes a book about it, and him and Kevin, Kevin Manis, are consultants on the movie The Possession in 2012. I remember the Dybbuk box scared me so much. The story scared me so much. I didn't even want to watch that movie. 
and I did. I did watch it. It was okay. It was a, a decent movie. <laughs> I give it three possessions. I only got possessed three times. No, it was oh, it was an okay movie. But I remember I didn't even want to watch the movie. I didn't want to watch the trailers. The story of the Dybbuk box really, really scared me. The director of the possession, Ole Borendahl, he's he's not one. Of- that sounds like one of the dwarves from Lord of the Rings. No, he actually is like, he, I think he's a Russian director. He he directed the Night Watch. He directed the movie. He said crazy stuff started happening on the set. He said five days after the movie wrapped filming, a fire broke out and destroyed all the props in the film. So this box, this Dybbuk box, is legend at this point. Like in the paranormal community, this is way up there. I I, I can't th- I won't don't want to say it's as big as, you know, Area 51 or something like that, but it's super well known. It's super, super well known. It has movies based on it. Zach Baggins, biggest ghost hunter in the world, buys it from Jason Haxton, because he was the last person to have it, for an undisclosed amount. We don't know how much he bought it for. And he puts it in his Museum of Curiosities. And he has called it the most cursed item on Earth. This Dybbuk box is just so powerful that if if Post Malone is anywhere near you and you touch it, Post Malone will have bad luck. So the, the legend has grown. The legend has grown. That's really where most stories end. It turns out two things. Two things have come to light recently. One, this is only one of ten Dybbuk boxes. Kevin Manis has seven more of them. Now, he's given one of these Dybbuk boxes to Zach Baggins. So now Zach Baggins has two. Kevin Manis has six. And Kevin says, here's the full story. There was some Jewish Kabbalist wizards during World War II. And they saw the threat of Nazi Germany. So what they did was they summoned a demon, a Dybbuk, to be specific, to help the Jewish people fight off the Nazis. But they couldn't control it. This Dybbuk became too powerful and began... It's like, World War II walks away from World War II. I'm sure everything will be fine, guys. He walks away from World War II, and he's doing all these other disasters, like he caused the Korean War. He's all just like, come on over here, North Korea. It sure is sunny down in the South Korea. He caused all these other catastrophes and didn't really help the Jews out during World War II. So these Jewish Kabbalah wizards had to capture the Dybbuk, and he's so powerful they had to separate him into ten different boxes. So Zach Baggins has two of them. Kevin Manis has six of them, and the other two cannot be found. They cannot be located. Kevin Manis says no one knows where they're at. If all ten of these items are brought together, if all ten of these boxes are brought together, the demon will be unleashed. You thought Post Malone's tire blowing out on his plane was bad. Just just wait until a demon devours us all. That recently came to light. And then another big piece of the Dybbuk legend came to light. It's fake. It's 100% made up. 100%. The whole story is fraudulent. This is fascinating. I'm going to read you quotes. This isn't Jason being skeptical and saying, well, I found... No. Kevin Manis, let, let's let's dig into this because this is so fascinating. I read an article recently on InputMag.com, and the website seems to be very tech geared, tech and like uh, cutting edge technology, computer stuff, a little bit of fashion. Seems to kind of be a lifestyle magazine. It's not set up to be a, a skeptical magazine or 
anything like that. InputMag.com, there's an article by Charles Moss. And it exposes, with Kevin Manis's help, the fraud that is the story of the Dippick Box. Now, I'm telling you, I'm going to be reporting this with a big smile on my face, and I'm going to be laughing about this. But also to be very, I didn't want to sugarcoat this. I was fooled, too. Like, I was scared of the Dybbuk box, right? I was scared of that legend. I didn't want to watch the trailer or the movie. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying, oh, oh look at me. I'm skeptical. I was, not only did I get suckered into the story, I enjoyed the ride along the way. But let's take a look at this. It's so fascinating. Back in 2015, the first hint that this was fraudulent kind of got revealed on Facebook. And again, it wasn't some person going, well, demons don't exist, or that's so foolish. You know, that's easy skepticism. Kevin Manis made a Facebook post back in 2015. What happened is there's a web series called Haunt Me, or Haunt Me, like Haunt Maine. And it's a bunch of kids, a bunch of teenagers, early 20s, running around ghost hunting. I've never watched a show. It sounds fun, right? We always want to encourage people going out, having fun ghost adventures. <laughs> trademark, I'm going to trademark that name, ghost adventures. But you know what I mean? Like, we want to encourage that. There's nothing wrong with that. I've never seen the show. But anyway, so in an episode, they start talking about a Dybbuk box. And they start talking about, like, this Dybbuk box contains, like, this level demon and blah, 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 blah. And Kevin Manis gets upset by that. And so he posts this back in 2015. On the Haunt ME's Facebook page, quote, I am uniquely qualified to make these... He started off by saying how you can't say this about the Dybbuk box and stuff like that. Quote, I am uniquely qualified to make these claims as I am the original creator of the story of the Dybbuk box, which appeared as one of my eBay posts back in 2003. The idea that Dybbuk boxes have some kind of history prior to my story... And the idea that a Dybbuk box could contain anything other than a Dybbuk, along with any deviation to the type of contents I created to be found inside of a Dybbuk box, is laughable at best. How about this, he continues in his quote, how about this? If you, this is super important, this is super important. How about this? If you or anyone else can find any reference to a Dybbuk box anywhere in history prior to my eBay post, I'll pay you $100,000 and tattoo your name on my forehead, unquote. So they were adding to the mythology. They were adding to like this different type of Dybbuk box. And he's like, no, I know what's in the Dybbuk box because I created it. I mean, <laughs> I discovered it. And people read this and they go, wait a second. If this is a real thing, how could you make such a bold claim? You say nowhere in history was a Dybbuk box ever there until I said it, until my eBay post. So people, again, there's always people who are skeptical. Then there's people who believe in the paranormal but are open to skepticism. And then there are people who will believe anything. And after that Facebook post popped up, people started to get suspicious. How can you claim if it's real if you can say it didn't exist before my eBay post? Charles Moss is interviewing him because he'd recently heard about this Dybbuk box story like earlier this year. He's interviewing him. And first off, Kevin Manis is kind of giving him some weird answers and he's kind of like messing stuff up and he's kind of getting some details foggy. And then he asks, you know what, Charles, let's do another interview. But next time, really, I want you to push me. I really want you to push me and get the BS out of the way. And so Charles Moss does some other research and does start interviewing him again. And during the second interview, we have this back and forth. Quote, this is a quote from Kevin Manis. I am a creative writer. The Dybbuk box is a story that I created. 
And the Dybbuk Box story has done exactly what I intended it to do when I posted it 20 years ago. Which is what, I ask him. Which is to become an interactive story in real time. And then Charles Moss goes on to write, Though Manus did buy the wine cabinet at a yard sale, it was from an attorney, not the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor. The carving in the back of it is my carving, Manus says. The stone that was in the box is something that is a signature creation of mine also. Make no mistake, I conceived of the Dybbuk box, the name, the term, the idea, and wrote this creative story around it to post on eBay. The reporter, being a reporter, being a good reporter, begins to interview Kevin Manis's friends, and they knew it was a fraud as well. One of them said, oh, the hair in the box, that was my hair. Even his mother was in on it. She didn't, she didn't fake the stroke. She really had a stroke, but she lied. She, she, he goes, that was a mother's love for her to live on paranormal witness for me. She made it up. 100% the story was made up. Charles Moss couldn't verify that there were two suicides that were linked to it. One guy supposedly like knocked it over and then like him and his boss killed themselves. He wasn't even able to verify that those suicides took place. And Kevin Manis goes, oh, no, 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 the suicides are real. But here's the thing. When you have someone who has lied on the record for 20 years, fascinating, fascinating. It's 100% a lie. So fascinating. Now what's happening is Jason Haxton is saying, listen, what I think is that he did buy the box from an attorney. Maybe his story's true. But what I think is he might have used Kabbalah magic himself to curse the item. And Kevin Manis is like, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. It's all made up. But it's interesting because we have all these people with financial motives based on it. Kevin Manis sold the box for a couple hundred dollars, but then he's a consultant on this movie. Jason Haxton wrote a book and is a consultant on this movie and sells it to Zach Baggins. And everyone has to kind of save their own butt. Now, Jason Haxton goes, listen, I did get a string of bad luck after I got this thing. Kevin Manis says, I told Jason Haxton the story wasn't real. I told the guy who bought it right after me, I called him up and said, listen, I'm sorry, I made the story up. And then when that guy sold it to Jason Haxton, Kevin Manis called him up and said, listen, just, just so you know, and I told the previous guy this, this story's fake. So he's saying Jason Haxton knew it was a fraud. But Jason Haxton goes, no, 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 all this bad luck really did happen to me. You know, the story's so fascinating on so many levels, but of course we're waiting to hear, what does Zach Baggins have to say about this? Because he's the guy who's out the most. Who in the world was Kevin Manis and Jason Haxton before this happened? But Zach Baggins, this is the centerpiece of his museum. He's done episodes about this, about this Dybbuk box. His professional reputation is on the line. What is he saying about this? Very, very interesting. Here's a quote from Zach Baggins. Since owning the Dybbuk box, there have been countless documented experiences people have had with it. Not just from myself, but my museum staff, my fellow crew members, visitors, and most... <laughs> this is so ridiculous. And most notably, Post Malone. Who cares, right? Post Malone, great singer. That'd be like saying, come and visit my world-famous roller coaster. It's Neil deGrasse Tyson's favorite roller coaster. Who cares? He's, he's not a roller coaster expert. 
I, I don't understand why you would evoke the name of Post Malone. It's not helping your argument, but yet he does, most notably Post Malone. And he goes on to say, I don't believe that this is the full truth. I think there is so much more to the Dybbuk box, and regardless, this is important, regardless of its origins, it is very much cursed and evil. And then he go, it goes on from there. I'm not surprised there are more controversy and conflict keep arising from it. The Dybbuk boxes always raise questions and intrigue, and this adds to its narrative. The narrative is that it's fake. And this is what I find so fascinating about the story. And again, I was brought in hook, line, and sinker. The Dybbuk box, the Dybbuk box story scared me. I find this super fascinating. But the origins of it, he says, regardless of its origins, no, the origins of it is what makes it the story. You can buy one of these wine cabinets, these little wine cabinets that he turned this into. They sell them. This isn't a rare thing. You can buy one of these wine cabinets. It was the lineage. It was the story is what makes it unique. Really, it's just a wine cabinet at this point. And then any bad luck that you come across and you go, well, that's weird. I, I went to this wine. I went to buy this wine cabinet one day, and two weeks later, the wheel fell off my bicycle. Like you want to make that connection. We have good and bad luck all the time, and we interact with new things constantly. Every time we're walking down the street, imagine how much your brain would break if every time something, every time you had bad luck, you had to think of every new thing you encountered in the past day or two. You're walking through a store, they got a new bag of Oreos on the counter. Now, if those Oreos came from John Wayne Gacy's kitchen, that's the origin of them. They're super stale, but that'd be the origin, that'd be the lineage. That would make them cursed. There was that thing I, I heard, I think it was on the Parapod. They said if you had two knives, two kitchen knives, they're exactly, or maybe a Sofa King podcast, it was one of the two. They're both great podcasts, but if you had two kitchen knives sitting on a counter... The one on the left is an ordinary... They're the exact, they're the exact same package. They're exact, exactly the same kitchen knife. The one on the left is a kitchen knife, and the one on the right is a kitchen knife that was used to murder a man. Is there a difference between those two knives? So that's what we're looking at when we're talking about the Dybbuk box. If the origin is fake, then it's, it's worthless. It's a fraud. It's fake. And so there's two routes you can... I, I I had a good chuckle about this whole thing. I didn't invest a ton of money in it. I just invested time, and I do still think it's an interesting story. And to me, this makes it more interesting. Because it's we have a conclusion. But there's a couple different routes you could go through. One, the easiest route, and I'm sure it's the one that you guys are think, thinking about. And I'm, I, I bet you it's the one they'll go down. Is that the Dybbuk box was just a box, but because everyone was scared of it, we turned it into a tulpa. Like, we collectively made the Dybbuk box real. So you're right. The Dybbuk box itself was just a wine cabinet with a bunch of junk in it. But because everyone believed there was a demon in it, we made a demon go in it. That's the easiest out for anyone involved. They could say, like, Jason's Kabbalah... Ma if, Jay if Kevin Manis really let Jason know it was fake then that's an uh, issue that Zach Baggins needs to take up with Jason. But you could say, Jason could say, uh, Kabbalah magic was used to curse this thing. But I think collectively going forward, they'll go, the Dybbuk box was fake, but we've made it real through the Tulpa process. I, you could go that route. But here's the thing. Paranormal researchers are always complaining about not being taken seriously by the scientific community. 
all the time. I hear it all the time. How come they won't believe that my spirit box or my EVP meter or my temperature gauge that's showing that it's colder in here, how come this isn't legitimate stuff? How come we get dismissed when we're Bigfoot researchers or UFO hunters and stuff like that? Well, stuff like this doesn't help, right? Stuff like, stuff like this doesn't help when someone comes out and goes, I've been defrauding you for 20 years. This stuff doesn't help. But I, I think about it like this. We don't need to be like the scientific community. We need to be better than the scientific community. So let, let me explain. In the scientific community is rife with fraud as well. And we all know it. We pretend that it doesn't exist. We pretend that the sugar companies aren't paying for studies to show that artificial sweeteners give you nerve damage. We pretend to think that cell phone companies aren't telling scientists what? No, no. Cell phones don't cause brain tumors. Any scientific study you see has been paid for by somebody. Either it's a private group or it's a college that gets its funding from the government or private groups. It's all bought off. Now, some of it's less bought off than others. But science, science is rife with fraud. It really is. The, the, the difference is, is that if, if pure science can tell the truth, but so often it's cigarettes are healthy for you until they're not. Right? I mean, like, there's, I could list every, oh, no, eugenics, that's the way to go. That was, that's what science believed for the longest time, and now it doesn't. And 40 years from now, people are going to look back at the science of today and be like, you guys were barbarians. You guys actually believed that? Anyways, so we need to be, as paranormal researchers, we need to be better than science. We need to call the fraud what it is. Fraud. In the business, this is what I was thinking, in the world of business, you call out fraud and you shut it down. And then that's it. There are people who still believe in old-timey science stuff. They're just completely dismissed. The flat earth is perfect. Stuff that's been completely dismissed by science. There are people who still believe it. There are people who still believe that this Dybbuk box is cursed. There's no one who still believes that Bernie Madoff was a good businessman. But we need to do that. We need to call out the fraud when we see it. And Zach Baggins could easily say, Zach Baggins could easily come out and say, I was duped. This this Dybbuk box is not real. And I'm going to sue everybody. I'm suing Jason Haxton if he really knew. I'm definitely suing Kevin Manis because he was perpetrating it. I'm suing him because that's what we need for paranormal research to go forward. We can't keep piling on lies. I, I really think that's what he should do. I think that would be a huge move for paranormal research because science has a hard time doing that. Science will hold on to that truth and hold on to that grant money as long as they can and keep pumping out the same study as long as this company, this conglomerate, or this group is paying them. And they'll keep saying stuff even though it damages people, even though it can hurt us. They'll keep pushing it until other scientists come forward and either because they've done good science and say that's wrong or because another group <laughs> or because another group pays them off to run a study but we need to be better than that and Zach Baggins I would love it I would have so much respect for you if you came forward and said this is fraudulent I was duped everyone was duped we were we believed it cuz that's what we do we love hearing these stories and we love believing them but this was fraud I'm suing them and let's move forward and I'm going to keep this in my museum because this is an important part of paranormal research that we get misled. 
I think that would be great. And I think it would it would send a message to science. I could care less. I've never been one of those people who's trying to find proof so I can prove to some non-believer that ghosts exist or do. I don't honestly care. But if we want to send the message to, yes, we're going to hold ourselves accountable, just like scientific community does, just like the business community does. We're going to if it fails, if it fails the smell test, if it's fraudulent, let's call it out. And sue. And sue these people who committed this fraud. And that would just be a great thing. But I don't think that's how the story's going to end. I think it's going to be... It was a tulpa now, and we created it in our head. And does that mean the other ten boxes really exist out there? How far does a tulpa extend? I mean, you know what I mean? It's just easier sometimes to just... Say, game over. We lost. We lost this one, but we still believe in ghosts. We still believe in the paranormal. And so on and so forth. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to try to spin it that it is really haunted. Maybe it's even more haunted because the lie caused the curse to grow or something like that. I find this story absolutely fascinating. I love it when stories have a conclusion. This conclusion <laughs> this conclusion is better than 10 Dybbuk boxes being brought together and a demon bursting out of them and ruling over Earth as Zach Baggins as his own personal pet. It's much, It's much better than that one. It's not as cool as if the Dybbuk box itself was real and there was a demon trapped in there. Obviously, he's a believer in the paranormal and is a fan of it. That'd be cool. But it does have an an ending. It was fake. And we have to acknowledge it was fake. And to go forward as a parent, if people keep pushing that this is real, it just makes us all look super goofy. It really does. You'll never really be able to prove the existence or non-existence of Bigfoot or UFOs unless, you know, they make themselves available. But if something comes forward that we all talk about and it is knowably false and then we continue to talk about it, we don't need science. We don't need science to dismiss us. We don't need the normal world to dismiss us. We're, we're asking to be dismissed. If something is knowably false, provably false, and we still pretend that it's real... We deserve to be dismissed. And I don't think we deserve to be dismissed. I think we know a lot about the world. I think we know a lot of the secrets that other people ignore or they just don't want to acknowledge that are there. But we we have to know when to call it quits. And I think this is the time when we go, we were wrong. We got fooled. Me, Jason Carpenter, I got fooled by the Dybbuk box story. It was too good to be true. But I will continue to look for the next story and the next story and the next story. Because I do believe the truth is out there even though we may run into a few lies along the way. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. (laughs) 